0: Lots of new faces and returning people. Glad that you're here again with us. Can't talk enough about Fall Retreat. If you feel like you don't know anybody yet in Chi Alpha, or you're looking for community and friendship, or maybe you're looking for time specifically dedicated to spend trying to hear from the voice of God, it's a really great time for that. And there's lots of fun, there's lots of great food and games, but more importantly, it's concentrated investment into relationship. And so as I see lots of new folks I hope you're at retreat so I can get to know you a little bit better and you're not just a name tag. You're more than that. You're a story. All right. That's why I'm me. Awesome. Let's pray before we jump into tonight's text. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's good. We thank you that as we gather together, uh, we get to experience who you are and understand the story and character of God through the gift of the Bible. I pray that we would come with open ears and yielding hearts. God, that as we study this text, that we would realize as we encounter truth that you often want us to step out or, or walk in the light. And I just pray for your guidance. I pray that each of us would come maybe to this table that we're setting, um, Lord, with the, I guess, with the willingness to, to admit where you're right and maybe we've been wrong. And I know it's been on my heart lately, and we thank you for that in your name. Amen. We're continuing in our teaching series through the book of James. James is the brother of Jesus, and that's why the book or the letter is called James. And I want to read tonight's primary passage. We're going verse by verse the entire semester through this so we can understand what it meant to those it was written to, what it could mean for us, and then how it would apply to our lives. So if you have your Bible with you or you have the app, I heard that there's apps for those things, and uh, or you can look on the screen. So we're in James 1, 12, through 18. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. We'll get back to that in a minute. That's kind of important. Verse 15. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. There's a lot going on in that passage, right? Verse 12 is kind of interesting. Find out you might be getting a crown. Pretty cool. And then death and sin, and you're like, whoa, 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 what's this going to cost me? I love verse 13, and just to kind of jump right into it, I think one of the first things that we get to realize or that we get to understand about the character of God and the story of God is laid out in verse 13 and it's so clear is that temptation does not come from God. I kind of like what James is doing. It's helpful in reading this writing and I'm oversimplifying it a bit but I think that it helps make it practical and a pastor of mine helped me kind of navigate this a few years ago is that in verse 12 on this one side there tends to be trial and tests and then on the other hand um, in verse 13 there's temptation. So there seems to be a uh, bifurcation—that's my SAT word for the night—a um, bifurcation of ideas that testing or trials would be differentiated. Another SAT word. Thank you, Roll Tide. Um, but then on this side, it would be about temptation, and I, I think that's really helpful for us as we look in a moment to applying the text to our lives, because I think that understanding that there is a difference can help us in how we engage, regardless of which situation that we're in. And again, it's a little bit of an oversimplification, but it's helpful to move us to action. And one thing that I love is that we don't preach or teach for applause. We do it for action, for all of us to move together towards God, to look more like Him, and then to also find out that we are loved more than we can imagine by Him. And so when we read this, we found that God uh, does not tempt us. He doesn't tempt anyone, um, and then we're, we're shown something in verse 14 that maybe kind of stuck out to you. I know it did for me. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Right? It's pretty silent when you talk about evil desires buried in everybody's heart. It's not really a great way to gloss over that. Um, but I love James' honesty. And I think that it helps me understand what, what I would call a kingdom principle or something that's true that you and I can hold on to about who God is and how scripture paints a portrait of him. And it's this, is that God is better than we imagine, yet we are worse than we're willing to acknowledge. That when I read the texts daily, when I pray, when I look at the story of my life, and I see so many mistakes that I've made, and mistakes is almost not even the right word. It seems so lighthearted when we talk about sin. And then I look at my own uh, propensity and proclivity towards doing things against the picture and against the design of God. I'm, I'm, I'm struck by this passage and this idea that God is better than we imagine. Or some of my southern friends might say, gooder than we imagine. That was a joke, don't laugh, that's great, thanks. Um, Yet yeah, we are worse than we acknowledge. What I love about being at AU, and, and I've been here almost six years, I love that everyone at AU is spending a good amount of money, time, effort, and investment to help fix something out there that's broken. Like very few people come to AU and are like, I really love the status quo. 60 grand a semester, status quo, count me in. Nobody does that, right? And I love how C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity. He says that if we see something is broken or if we see a line and we can call it crooked, then we have to know that there's a straight line of morality or the moral law or the idea of the gospel laid out for us or what we would call the law from the Old Testament. And what I love about being at AU is that all of us see things out there that we desire to fix, that we know in the deepest parts of us need fixing. Now you may draw your conclusions as to where the origin of those problems lie, but I think the Bible is so clear in the creation narrative of Genesis that the problem out there actually starts in here. And that's a scary thought because it's really easy to talk about change and about fixing things that are external and not willing to admit that those things that exist externally, whether it's oppression or racism or lack of education, whatever it is, name it, that all of those things started in someone's in here. I know that when I think about the world and I think about things that I wish to change, it's very easy for me to look with uh, binoculars or a telescope, but, but it's very hard to look in a mirror. But what the gospel tells us, it's, it's hopeful in that it lets us know that you and I, although there's something broken and messed up in us, there's this evil desire, or you've maybe heard of sin nature or the fallen nature of who we are as humanity. I love that Jesus presents the solution for that. And if we look at the Genesis narrative, it's not that God intended it that way. And I think that's where we can kind of be deceived, as it says in verse 16. And then it talks about the goodness of God later on in this passage. Is because when God made humanity, he, he looks at it and says, it's good. He, he realizes that as, as he creates it, it's done it we're told in, in the image of the Trinity, that it's the imago Dei, that we are made in the image or in the likeness of who God is. But as sin enters the story through Adam and Eve, you and I, not of our own choosing, but certainly in our own reality, have to deal with brokenness the greatest deception, I think, of our generation is the assumption that the brokenness has nothing to do with me and it has everything to do with them. And that the solution has nothing to do with them but has everything to do with me. But the kingdom, the gospel would say that the solution isn't out there or in here, but the solution is Jesus coming to us heaven meeting earth, as it says in the Lord's Prayer, that God's will would be done here as it is up there. As I think through this passage, I'm reminded of something that Spurgeon once said, if you have small sins, you'll then have a small Savior. If you and I aren't willing to grapple with the depth and the darkness and the reality of how sinful and broken we are, we will not fully taste in in the fullness of the goodness of grace, what I love about the opportunity to teach through texts is that it doesn't let me skip awkward or hard verses like we're dealing with tonight. Like I don't necessarily wake up, get my son ready for daycare and think, "I really want to talk to a hundred students about sin and death and deception and other stuff. Many of us read John 10, and and we hear that God wants us to have a life and a life more abundantly, but we often skip over the idea or the reality that there is an enemy of our souls, the devil, Satan, whatever name you're more comfortable with, same person, and that his desire is to still kill and destroy all that is good within us and around us. In other words, I think that believing in God, believing in the claims of Christ, is certainly important to me, and I hope that you find yourself exploring those. But it's all too easy to be dismissive of what is uncomfortable, dismissive about what we would call spiritual realities. I love that if we keep reading this passage, we're told about the progression of sin, or where sin leads, that it's desire and then sin, and then it gives birth to death, And then we're told in 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. I love that James is writing this, not as an expert, not as a guru, not as a teacher on a stage, but as a fellow traveler, a brother or sister. And, and I hope to, to talk about these things, about temptation and sin, from that same sentiment. Like, I definitely am not up here saying, you know, my name is Blaine, I have a fancy lanyard, and I've conquered temptation Come and sit at my feet. If anybody ever says that, it's usually a good chance to join a different group. Just a warning. That's that's a free one. I I struggle with temptation. And temptation is just that moment when sin looks beneficial. Temptation is often the means by which we can engage in sin. And it's so easy to say, my sin, it's a mistake. It's an oopsie. It's just a little kind of blemish. But when we read about the goodness of God and the greatness of God, he loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us in the state that he found us. And we find out that sin is much more than a mistake or a hiccup or an oops, that sin is us not working out of the image of God but instead, working out of the image of the flesh, of the fallen nature. And that's why I love where it comes together in verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. In other words, you and I have the opportunity, if we're followers of Jesus, to choose which life to live based on which birth we identify with. Either the birth that comes naturally in fallen nature and sin, or the birth that comes through truth, as this says, or Jesus talking to Nicodemus, a religious leader, introduces that term born again. The thing that I think we're so afraid to talk about, maybe in services like this or in circles like ours, is that once you proclaim that God uh, can be Lord and will be Lord of your life, and you put your trust in him, Maturity is then walking that out and choosing the identity of truth over the identity of sin. In other words, it's not like once you come to know Jesus or you get prayed for on the sides or come to the front, it's like, oh, man, I hate sin now. It used to be so fun. Now I'd rather read my Bible all day and imagine that the Psalms are about my situations. No, what we're finding out in this passage is that James is is navigating and helping us navigate the tension that we now live in if we proclaim Jesus. It's the tension that every day we have to ask, are we living in a direction towards our birth as fallen people or towards our birth and from our birth as people of truth? And I think it's important at this point to, to help, and, and we'll get in this in the next few weeks, Josh is going to be speaking next week, and I'm excited about it, but I, I think this is super important for us, and I don't think I got this for a while, and so I'm kind of sharing from my own ignorance, to be honest, is that there's this belief that if we do the right things, that that will then lead to right standing or right relationship with God. A big fancy word for that is called righteousness, but that's not true. That's his whole faith works dynamic. The the equation is only true in the opposite way. That our right standing with God, our righteousness made right by him. Verse 19 says, he chose to give us the birth through the word of truth. He initiates through creation and through the cross. That that standing would lead to right action. See, we often would assume that the inverse is true, but it's not. That's why as we engage as followers of Jesus with culture around us, it can be so easy for us to focus on the actions and then assume that if we get people acting right, then they'll be right. But James in the story of the cross tells us that we are right in him. And then as a result, as an effect, then we begin to make the right decisions. As I was thinking through, you know, the topics of temptation and sin, a little bit more focus than I might normally on a Thursday and on a Wednesday, um, I was thinking through this idea that I think I tend to maybe overemphasize the sins that are so visible and then under, under acknowledge maybe, if that's a word, the sins that are like less tangible or more hidden, right? So you can wake up and be like, didn't murder anybody today, didn't punch anybody in the face. I'm doing pretty good as a follower of Christ, and I think that the visible sins are easy to identify, but the subtler sins are so much harder to root out. I, I was thinking about what this meant for me, right? Because I mean, I get to stand up here and share, but I'm also like like you trying to figure out this whole following Jesus well thing. and it was so funny. I was like, man, what are what are the temptations I struggle with? Um what 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 daily like tries to get my attention. And um I, I was walking around Target today and I was gonna go pick up some socks. It's a pretty great story. <laughs> and I was gonna get like those no-show socks. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they're pretty sweet, right? Uh because I was told recently, I'm not gonna say it's by my wife, but by somebody that I love and care for in my family, um, wasn't my son either, anyways, um, that if I wear shorts and tennis shoes and like long socks, that's a little bit too dad. Okay, so I was like, I need some no-shows. So I'm walking around Target, and I'm like, I'm hoping to pick up four or five pairs, hoping to drop maybe a fiver, you know, with tax. I'm pretty frugal at times. I mean, that's just code words. I like spending my money at the DAV, not on socks. And so, maybe you've been to Target and shop for socks, and you know where this is going, but it wasn't like Priceline. I couldn't name my price. Thank you for that. And I um, I was like, wow, $15 for like four pairs of no-shows. I was like, okay, maybe I'll just look around some more, and maybe I'll find like one pair for five bucks. Like, I can kind of, I can just wear them once, you know, and then do laundry. Like, I like to have multiples, but I was like, okay, well. And then I didn't find any at all. Everything was like $15, $20. It was like two pairs free. I was like, if I had $30, I wouldn't care about the two free pairs. The system is broken. The effects of sin are everywhere. This isn't what the garden was like. And um, it's so funny. I had a, a thought. I'll be honest. This is so funny. It's happened today because it's real. I had this thought. I was like, I'll just steal them. <laughs> and I, I normally don't struggle with, like, what we might call the visible sins. I mean, maybe ask the staff, and they'd have a different perspective. But I maybe more struggle with the subtler ones that are more rooted in, that take a little bit longer, that I can kind of play off as strengths, you know, but are really, like, the sickness of sin in me. But I was like, I, I could just steal them. And then, I, like, as I was looking around... I was like, that would be a terrible idea. And then I was like, now I know how people steal stuff. I could have it for free. And then I just had this moment, like, I never thought of stealing something. I mean, besides like music in high school, but I repented anyways. Um, oh, kaza. Uh, anyway. Um, you guys don't even know what that is. Great. That's cool. I'm old. Um, So, like, I I was thinking about what I struggle with more on a day-to-day basis, and here's some of my things, and here's the challenging part about where you live and where I live, is that sometimes the things that we struggle with are the most celebrated things in our culture. That sometimes your deepest weakness, the worst parts of you, are exalted as the best parts. Let me make it personal for me. I'm tempted to to pretend like I'm self-sufficient. I'm tempted... To think that I'm in control of my life and my story and my destiny. I'm tempted to to believe that I make things happen. I'm tempted to believe that the world revolves around me and I tend to react poorly to those that don't also have that same philosophy of life. I'm tempted to do things for Jesus to work as a minister. And not be with Jesus. I'm tempted to build my identity out of what I do instead of whose I am. Those things sound like, oh, oh that's, so, that's so intangible and fuzzy, but those are the things that really kind of pull us down. I'm tempted to live a life of busyness, so I feel important. And when I'm honest, busyness is sin because we're told to rest, because we're told God is sovereign, we're told He's in control. And so when I live a narrative differently than those things, that would be sin. But those are all thi- I also like love being, things being perfect. I'm a recovering perfectionist, recovering being like italicized only some days. But that stuff is like celebrated in our city, on our campus, in our world. And I'm reminded about the counterintuitive nature of the message of Jesus. That he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. How do we practically navigate temptation? I know of no better example than in Matthew 4, and I'll just summarize it briefly. You can read it at your small group or in your devotional time. But Matthew 4, 1 through 11, Jesus, 100% man, 100% God, he's tempted while fasting. And there's these desires in him, and there's also Satan, the enemy, who's trying to enlarge those desires and put temptation and invitation to sin in his path. And I, I love what Jesus does. Jesus relies on something outside of himself for the solution to temptation. He relies on what we know is the Old Testament. And here's what Jesus does that I didn't do in high school and college. Jesus doesn't just say no or try to ignore the problem. Jesus says yes to something greater. When Jesus encounters temptation, he recalls the faithfulness of God in the Old Testament and the instruction of God. And he says yes to that instead. Because where you'll get in trouble and where I got in trouble and stalled out so many years of my life as a follower of Jesus is that I either ignored the issue and, like, I'm not tempted. Or I just said no, like, as loudly and as strongly as I could. I was like, willpower, no. But what Jesus does is a model for us It's to say yes to something greater to say yes to the image of God within us, to say yes to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us as we put our trust in Jesus, to say yes to the story that he would write, even when we aren't sure of what that writing will look like exactly. It's crazy. Jesus being Jesus. He's so Jesus-y. He doesn't fight alone. Why should you or I? So tonight, maybe as you... Hang out with your small group leaders or get to know some of our small groups. It's an opportunity where we not only fight with Jesus, but we get to fight with others. We'll talk about it later in James, about the role of confession, of healing and forgiveness. But this idea of being better together, it doesn't just mean better together in our best moments. It means better together in our lives. What I liked about Jesus is that he often got dirty and messy. One of the big ideas I'd want us to leave with as we look at this text tonight is that the Christian life should be victorious because Jesus is our Christus victor. That's a term. It means Christ the victorious. It comes from the idea of atonement, that when Jesus dies in three days, raises to life, that he has defeated all of the enemies of God and the kingdom, and that we get to be a reflection. Second Corinthians 3.20 talked about it as ambassadors, but we get to be a reflection or an image, or we get to image the notion of Christus Victor. Natalie and I were talking a few months ago, but a conversation stuck in my head, and classic Natalie, she's talking about what she's learning from the Psalms. I feel like she can read a Psalm and get like 30 truths. I just like read a Psalm and feel like, oh, I'm so sad for David. Anyways, um, I'm like, oh, he didn't even write that one. It was the Brothers of Asaph. Anyway, um, and she was saying, like, it's so interesting that, like, that that God is presented as a shield, or it's a shield from the fiery darts, and we were talking about that, and and it's just like, oh, I don't want the fiery darts part. I don't want to need no shield. Like, I don't want a shield. I shouldn't have a shield. Why do I have a shield? Shield is for battle. I don't do that. But when I think about that, when I think about Christus Victor, the idea of being victorious through truth, receiving the light of the Father, it's clearly implied in our theology and then in your experience that things will be difficult. Sometimes choosing to follow Jesus makes your life a lot harder and more complicated. Having a son, I like to talk about it like this, blessings complicate everything. I have a 20-month-old, so I mean everything. Here's the thing. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Sometimes we're deceived to think that temptation comes from God. Other times we're deceived to think that God will forgive me if I do this, and and I just come back to him. Maybe the greatest temptation of all for us living in a postmodern context is that Temptation or sin, those are like old words and old concepts that don't apply to me. What I love about verse 16 is that when we walk out of deception, we walk into the truth of the light. And and here's what I was praying through uh, as I was reading this passage, and I, I think it helps us as we think through our response as the band comes up, is that what deceives us will eventually define us. What we allow to deceive us will end up defining your story and mine. My pastor said it like this: "Sin and temptation are things that grow in the dark but often shrink in the light. We don't share our difficulties in small group and one-on-ones. We don't share our sin struggles and our, our tendencies towards brokenness and depravity and moral bankruptcy. We don't share those so we feel better about ourselves. We share those so that we can have people that love us, help us walk a path towards God. I love the idea of the spiritual disciplines, and Dallas Willard really unpacked this for me. He says that the spiritual disciplines, devotional life, being a part of corporate worship, being a part of a small group, there's many others, but those are a few of the ones that come to mind, that engaging in the spiritual disciplines is saying no to yourself in advance, that you're making a decision against yourself. Have you guys ever felt that way? Like following Jesus is hard and it feels like you're fighting against yourself? Well, this passage tells us it's because that's true. Paul writes in other parts of the New Testament that he knows what he shouldn't do but does it and knows what he should do but doesn't do it. But the joy that should be pervasive, as we talked about last week, leads us in this passage to know that we don't have to walk in deception, that verse 17 tells us that all good things are from God. I love how it says the Father of the heavenly lights. It reminds us of that benediction, that prayer from Leviticus that we pray every, at the end of every T&W, that may God shine his face upon you. Why? So that the light and the radiance of the kingdom would be made known in your life and in your circumstances. And then in verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. Firstfruits is a term that would carry a lot of meaning to the original listeners and hearers of this passage, of this letter. We're a little bit separated from it in culture and in time. But in the Old Testament, in a culture of primogeniture, when the firstborn would receive more of the inheritance than those born later. In agricultural terms, in the Old Testament, the first meant the best. So when we're told that when we're born of truth we are then God's first first fruits it means that when we allow ourselves to live out of the identity of truth and of life and of God's story and not our own and not the one from the evil desires within then we are bringing glory to God that he has us as first fruits like that he is not only for us, and not only wants us to grow, but He is proud of us. And I often don't think about God like that, to be honest. I think of God as someone who wants some things from me, that wants some things for me. But this passage paints a different picture, a different angle, a different perspective. That you and I, when we live out of the truth of the goodness of God, He considers us His first fruits. There's no greater compliment within this Jewish framework that James could write. There's no greater imagery which he could come up with except to say that we are considered God's best when we live out of the truth that he lets us identify with. As we think about how we want to respond tonight, I love that James does such a great job of reminding us of hope and of the goodness of God. kind of does honestly brashly talk about how terrible we are and how terrible he is but i love that he doesn't leave us there he talks about the goodness of god and that's what the role of the holy spirit is in our lives guilt really comes from you know bad religion and cultural upbringing guilt forces you and i to focus on what we did wrong but the conviction of the holy spirit helps us focus On who can make things right so maybe you're here and you're feeling guilty about choices that you've made maybe you haven't thought about temptation or sin from this perspective but if we put our trust in Jesus we get to live out of the image of truth of Christus Victor that it's not our strength it's not our willpower it's not our best self now and self-help books that help us to achieve even more But instead, it's about being. Instead, it's about receiving. Instead, it's about responding to the choice that God made to reach out to us, to love us, and care for us. Why don't you stand with me all across this place? We hope that here in this community, in these services, you know that this is a a place for grace, where you shouldn't fight alone, where we wanna be with you, where it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Where we're learning, as Catholic writers have put before, we're learning to struggle well and to stumble, but to stumble towards grace. So before we sing this song, I want to read this passage over us one more time. And I want to read it from the perspective of a prayer. It's declaring truth about who God is and about the situations we find ourselves in. Maybe it's helpful for you to kneel during this time. Maybe it's helpful for you to open up your hands in a posture of reception. Maybe it's helpful to close your eyes, but this is telling us of the options of the different routes of our story but it's painting a picture of a good good God but you and I will never appreciate the goodness of God unless we fully know how broken and perverse we are blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood that test that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away of their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Here's where the hope comes. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created first fruits were opportunity to show off the workmanship of the farmer so as we sing this song as first fruits, we're singing not because of what we feel, not because of what we see, but because of who we know. And we sing in victory and in joy because God is proud of us when we live out of our identity of truth. Let's sing and worship together in response tonight.